1: Welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. So Molly, I don't know about you, but uh, I think in 11th grade, maybe 10th grade, there were two books that were going around uh, my all the girls in my grade. Everyone was passing around. Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, which I will just bury and let rest, <laughs> and Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. I think they made it into a movie a couple years ago, and... Um, Everyone just loved it. They were like, oh, you got to read Memoirs of a Geisha. So I borrowed my friend's copy, read it, and thought it was just this magical world. Um, But come to find out that the person who the memoir was based on actually wanted to sue, ended up suing the author because of all the misrepresentations of the life of a geisha.
2: Right. She thought that he kind of missed the mark. And I think it's very easy to miss the mark with geisha. I think they're pretty misunderstood. A lot of people seem to associate them with prostitutes.
1: Right. Um, But the fact of the matter is they aren't prostitutes at all. Um, but people are still enamored with this idea of a geisha because they have, you know, the, the kimono and the white makeup and just look like just like a something out of another time that, that are still around. And they're mostly concentrated today in Kyoto and Tokyo, but uh, tourists have become so obsessed with trying to get a photo of them that uh, the government officials in Kyoto have had to put up signs telling people to leave the geishas alone.
2: Right, and so I think that people think they're getting this photo of you know an extravagant japanese prostitute but today we're going to take sort of a more accurate look at what a geisha's job description actually is
1: right and um i just caught myself molly saying geishas but in fact geisha is both singular and
2: plural so i should have said geisha so here on out geisha Geisha, and uh, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say that while we did look up how to pronounce a lot of these Japanese words, I don't know if we're going to get them all exactly right. But we will give it a solid effort. We, We are going to try. So,
1: geisha is the Japanese word for a person of art. And, uh, Basically, a geisha is a professional hostess who spends many, many years mastering musical instruments, singing, dancing, and all of the art of being a perfect hostess.
2: And that word is key, Kristen, perfect. Mm-hmm. They basically have to be the representation of the perfect woman. Yeah, uh,
1: this all harkens back to the time when Japanese women were really excluded from mainstream society. And um, the original geishas geisha, or actually <laughs> men, because women wouldn't have been allowed to uh, be associating with with businessmen like they do today.
2: That's correct, Kristen. So there are a few theories on how geisha became sort of female rather than male. One story is that uh, there were these female artists who wanted to steal business from prostitutes To by hiring themselves out to sing and dance. Instead of hiring a prostitute for your party, you would hire a geisha. And another one has a failing prostitute taking a job as a geisha to make some extra money. And she was more successful as a geisha than she was as a prostitute. So, I mean, I don't know what that says about her, but basically I think that's where the sort of association with prostitution came up. Is just they were Aiming for the same business.
1: Right, but, but the government actually set up really strict rules for geisha, um, concerning how they had to dress and where they could go and the hours that they could keep, kind of to delineate them from prostitutes.
2: But that only made them more popular because it made them sort of more restricted, more unavailable, more exotic. Uh, so this was a very popular career choice for women, especially when they didn't have many Paths to travel as working mm-hmm. women.
1: Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of poor families would send their send their daughters to uh, geisha houses to to learn the art and eventually hopefully take over the geisha house. So let's talk a little bit about um, the training process of becoming a geisha because uh, it, it takes about as much time to become a geisha as it does to be trained as a doctor. It's right. very intensive.
2: Like you think you left college with a four year degree in music. Try being a geisha who spends six years studying the arts of music, dance, tea ceremony, language, hostessing. That's it's a lot of study.
1: It is a lot of work. And uh, when a potential geisha first arrives at the okiya or the tea house or geisha house, uh, she she first becomes an apprentice. You have to go through much like a doctor. You have to go through a period of apprenticeship, learning all of these things before you can do the real deal.
2: And it's all sort of overseen by kind of like a house mother and a big sister. So you come in and you are in this very uh female-dominated society, and that's how you're going to learn these very traditional
1: arts. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to study singing, as we mentioned, and traditional Japanese dances, tea ceremony, flower arranging, calligraphy, a variety of instruments. Uh, I think there's what like a three stringed banjo and uh, other other types, and maybe like a flute or other wind instrument that a, that a geisha might study as well.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I remember from reading Memoirs of a Geisha, she was always playing her shamisen, the three sing- stringed three stringed banjo. Right,
1: because they have to be perfect. Um, even once you become uh, a, a mako or an apprentice geisha, you then start having to wear sort of prep clothes. You wear these oversized kimonos with, with sleeves that reach all the way down to the floor so you can learn how to pour tea or sake without getting your sleeve into the tea or sake and you, you wear these really elaborate headdresses that are very heavy, very confining shoes. It's not an easy, an easy outfit to wear.
2: Yeah, you're all sort of decked out in this and you have to know all these things so that if you're called on to do any of them, you can just do them in a drop of a hat and this is, um, one thing that geisha learned that I wish that I could learn somehow is they have these classes where you learn how to flatter a shy man, an arrogant man, or a disinterested man. Like you learn how to deal with every single type of guy you're going to possibly encounter in your line of work. And that's just, that takes some skill to be able to deal with every type of person sure.
1: in a society. Right. Because as, as we mentioned earlier, the the ultimate role of a geisha is to reflect this illusion of perfect, the perfect woman.
2: Yes, the flattering woman at a party. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the midst of your training, when you are a Mako, as Kristen said, you're going to go out to these parties with your older sister and kind of observe, learn how to play the part of the perfect hostess. And then eventually, after a few years of being this apprentice, Geisha, you can become the full-fledged thing, a full-fledged entertainer. It's um, symbolized in a lot of ceremonies where you change your collar, you mm-hmm. drink sake with your older sister um, and then you can be hired out for these parties, and it is not cheap to be hired out for a party. No, a geisha party can cost uh, between two
1: and three hundred dollars per guest for every two hours the geisha are present. And for that reason, because it's such a, a high price tag. Um, Japanese businessmen use geisha parties to impress potential clients and uh, really kind of kick back with the boys because uh, it's a chance to break away from the more rigid aspects of Japanese
2: society. All while showing how wealthy and cultured you are to have these lovely ladies coming in and entertaining.
1: Right. But Molly, you can't, you can't just call up a geisha and say, Hey, geisha, let's have a party. (laughs) No, it's very, it's very strict. Uh, If you want a geisha to host a party, you have to either go through the geisha house or call a tea house where geisha entertain. And uh, the each geisha kind of has a, a booking agent, if you will, that will send her out to different appointments.
2: And it kind of sounds glamorous to go to parties and entertain for two hours and walk home with hundreds of dollars, but it is a lot of work. You know, you are working every minute to make sure every guest feels special. They always have a full cup of sake. You know, all of a sudden you got to stop everything and dance and sing and play your shamisen. And, Molly, the kicker for me is... You can't eat. No eating at the parties.
1: Geisha can't eat while while they work, so they have to be on point all the time. I mean, for all of this hard work, uh, geisha will receive a number of generous tips, probably from from these businessmen. Uh, but Molly, that kind of still
2: sounds like a form of at least escorting, maybe. Right, that's what was going through my mind. This, you know, does sound a bit like prostitution, but actually, there's sort of a very uh. Rigid dating code in the geisha world. When you find a man, it's a, it's a fairly monogamous thing. He's sort of your patron. Uh, he's termed the dana of you. And there's a very, uh, specific ceremony you perform where you kind of unite yourself with this guy, very similar to a marriage. And you're faithful to him until a time when you perform another ceremony that says, you know, we're not exclusive anymore.
1: Yeah. So there are options, formal options for a geisha to have a monogamous sexual relationship with a client.
2: But it's not like you're probably going to go home with the client every night. You don't have time. Yeah. Part of the reason you have no time, Kristen, is that... There's a lot of work involved in just getting ready for one party. And this is another reason why I don't think that geisha probably become immediate millionaires from all these tips and this hourly wage. So much of their time and money goes to their upkeep. If you're a living work of art, then you've got to look like a living work of art at all times. Right.
1: On top of the money that goes back to the geisha house, the geisha also has to buy very expensive kimonos and makeup and hair accessories to make themselves into that
2: that gorgeous doll. Right. So let's go through a little bit of what getting ready to entertain might be like. It's not like you just get dressed by yourself. You are putting on these very heavy robes. you got to have basically a dresser who knows how to do under layers and over layers and tie sashes certain ways. Then it's time for makeup, and you know a, a fun fact. Originally, the makeup, that white makeup they put on, was poisonous. Yeah, but
1: now it is it is harmless. Um, and and it starts with a layer of oil and then wax on the face to smooth out all all imperfections. And then on top of that goes the uh, the white powder that we think of when we think of uh, the the geisha makeup. And then you apply the red lipstick just to the
2: lower lip. If you're an apprentice. If you're an apprentice, right. Then once you're full-fledged geisha, it's both lips. And if you don't notice the lip thing, you can tell um, which kind of geisha is which based on their hairstyle. Because uh, these women spend hours at the hairstylist getting a very specific type of hairstyle to denote to to note their status. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact,
1: some women will sleep on special pillows, that have a hole in the middle, so they don't ruin their fancy hairstyles while they sleep. Which is pretty ingenious i guess um but another way Molly, to tell the difference between an apprentice geisha and a full-fledged geisha is to look at the neckline mm-hmm. uh they actually call the the ceremony when an apprentice becomes a geisha the uh changing of the collar because uh, an, a a geisha will actually reveal her neckline with the kimono unlike the apprentice because the japanese find uh, a woman's neckline to be very very alluring
2: mm-hmm so there's that there's the color of the color also plays a role and the hairstyle which again we can't really describe very well on a podcast but um basically they're saying a man be able to walk into a room and look at the hairstyles of all the women and know who was who. Mm-hmm.
1: And the another interesting thing I noticed from looking at photos of geishas if you look at the back of a geisha's neck you'll see a little bit of skin that they leave um without the white makeup on it just below the neckline. I thought was kind of it looked like almost two triangles right below, or sorry, right below their hairline, not their
2: neckline. Now, isn't the this description of getting ready present in one of your favorite books, Kristen? Well, Molly, in fact, it is. There's a lot of details on the of this
1: in Memoirs of a Geisha, which, as we mentioned, it's you know it's not exactly uh, a perfect history, but it is a fun read.
2: And if you do happen to go over to Japan, will you see a geisha today? That's what the New York Times was saying. That you know you can't threaten the geisha in their natural habitat they're on their way to work but what is a geisha like today well molly a geisha today isn't isn't
1: that much different from a geisha back in the day i mean they still do this go through the same process of training that involves mastering music and dance and uh current events and everything to make them into the Perfect hostess.
2: Right. There's just far fewer of them. Uh, you know, in the height of the geisha period in the 1920s, there were 80,000 registered geishas. Mm-hmm. And the number has steadily dropped to now.
1: There are probably around only a thousand geisha left in, in Japan. And that's probably one of the reasons why Kyoto's had to put up those warnings uh to stay away from the geisha, because since there are so few of them, people are just camped out waiting to see the
2: elusive geisha going
1: to one of her appointments.
2: But, you know, when we were researching this, one fun thing that you found is, you know, if you're sitting there with your camera, be sure you've got, like, a real geisha in your site, because a very popular tourist thing to do right now in Japan is to go to a studio where they essentially, for 300 bucks, about, you know, they'll dress you up in the kimono, they'll, they'll do your hair, put on the makeup and take photos of you dressed as a geisha. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposedly a, a
1: pretty booming industry around Kyoto. And for an extra fee, they'll even let you walk around the streets as though you are a geisha. Um, so if
2: that's, if that's your thing and you got a few hundred bucks laying around, you might be able to live your own your own life as a geisha. So I think that that does sort of show that people understand that it's not just glorified prostitution. People recognize it now as a piece of Japan's history, something worth emulating, something worth striving for to be sort of this, you know, beautiful, educated, cultured woman. And there was an article recently in The Guardian newspaper that
1: reported a small resurgence in geisha. They're, they're saying that since Japan is trying less and less to be, uh, to emulate Western culture, they're coming back to embracing this idea, um, of, of the geisha and a lot more
2: girls are signing up to, to be trained as geisha. It's very interesting. If you want to learn more about how that process works, we've got a great article on our site, How Geisha Work by Julia Layton. And if you want to send me or Molly a question, or comment, you
1: can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?